Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine and sponsored by Steer. Broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto. Today, we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined in studio by Amy Cronus, who is the Houston Managing Partner for Deloitte, as well as Dwayne Dixon, who is the Vice Chairman of U.S. Oil, Gas, and Chemicals Leader for Deloitte as well. But first, I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. It's a wonderful issue. It breaks down the topic of natural gas, talks about importing exporting so if you have questions on what's happening you there's a lot of media attention around um, this clean burning fuel so you definitely want to go to shalemag.com that's spelled s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com again that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com and remember it's free And did I mention for less than $80 a year, you can get a full year subscription to Shell Magazine. And again, all you have to do is visit Shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and get your subscription mailed directly to your office or home. And now it's time to bring on our editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to the show. Hey, it's a beautiful day in Texas. Sure is. Well, you know, when you say the weather, it could also mean weather like it's kind of raining down assets and money and all kinds of crazy things here in <laughs> Texas. Um, and, you know, uh, last week, you know, we talked about this whole uh, Occidental and uh, Chevron, both uh, vying for Anadarko. And, uh, you know, there was some very interesting things that had happened last week. Um, and so yeah. I want to get back on that topic because it's just truly taking over a lot of the media. There's just a lot to talk about, a lot of things <laughs> happening. Um, so now that we've seen that there is like uh, Oxy has now tried to acquire um, Anadarko once again, um, you know, my question is, is this, uh, do you think that it's going to reopen negotiations with Oxy? I mean, there's been a little bit of some tar- talk, but how really, how valid is it, do you think? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, Anadarko's board did did uh, re- reopen those negotiations with Oxy at the first of the week, and um, that was after, as we talked about last week, Oxy had come in with a higher offer than than they had originally made, and uh, significantly, frankly, higher than than Chevron's offer that Anadarko had originally accepted. So, I guess it's not really surprising that uh, Anadarko's board made that move, they, they really probably kind of had to. I'm sure they were getting a lot of pressure from investors. Um, there are a lot of other factors that go into a merger like this uh, other than in addition to, you know, just the pure dollar amount. There's, there's factors of whether or not the two organizations are compatible with each other, uh, things like and whether the acquiring company really has the capacity to, to uh, consume or to rationalize all those new assets and in, in organization. And, and so the, a lot of that will be discussions of, of those ongoing talks, but it's, it's a big deal. And, you know, I know Chevron's uh, disappointed, uh, frankly, that, that Anadarko made that move, but, 
you know, now the pressure's kind of on Chevron to come back with a with a higher offer. Yeah, and you know, when all this was going on, and the offer was made, um, there, I I didn't find any media reports that had been disclosed that Oxy had visited Warren Buffett as well, and that right. Warren Buffett um, had come on the side of Occidental or Oxy. Uh, to the tune of $10 billion of making an investment. Now, (laughs) I guess uh, my question would be, with Warren Buffett now in the picture, giving, or not giving, but um, bringing in $10 billion of an investment, who's in the driver's seat now? How much is Warren Buffett involved in this as well? Well, it's, you know, it certainly is a big boost to to have Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett in your corner. Um, $10 billion takes a lot of pressure uh, off of Oxy financially. There were questions about, uh, you know, how much debt, new debt Oxy would have to, to take on in order to finance uh, the Anadarko deal. And, and so bringing Buffett on in this way, what, what he's done is he's made a commitment to purchase $10 billion worth of, to make a $10 billion uh, equity investment in Oxy. Uh, and in return for that, he would he would get a bunch of shares of the company with high dividend uh, rate attached to them. So it, it's kind of similar to taking on debt, but it's not through a bank and it's not the traditional way. And it's all contingent on the, uh, you know, Oxy actually winning this negotiation or this competition with Chevron. Uh, but that's a big deal. You know, I mean, anytime you have Warren Buffett in your corner, it's... Uh, you know, I he think can jump it, into our, just in really our corner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Come on <laughs> over here. Yeah, we want to get a piece of that deal. Well, and how many, um, you know, business professionals like himself um, really do jump involved in shale plays? I mean, this is somewhat new in that area, too. Yeah. You know, he's it, he's an interesting guy. He, for a long time, had a big position in ConocoPhillips. I don't know whether or not he still does, but he does take pretty significant positions in in oil and gas companies from time to time. And uh, But he's, he's very selective and picky about it. Right. When he sees a winner, he sees a winner. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about Permian Basin. Pioneer's announcement that it was selling off all of the last remaining Eagle Ford acreage that it had in assets and is going to p- purely focus on Permian Basin. Um, what do you think that means? Um, is, are they looking for a buyout? I mean, hey, right now the market is hot for Anadarko. Are, is this? Uh, do you think they're trying to jump in on the action as well, or, or what are your thoughts on this? What's what's making them want to sell acreage in Eagle Ford Shell? <laughs> well, you know, it's the end of a year-long process. They announced uh, a year ago, February, that they were were going to sell everything other than the Permian Basin assets and become a pure Permian play. Now, you know, and they've consistently said this is for the sake of efficiency. Uh, you know, the financials are better, uh, more profitable to drill in the Permian Basin than anywhere else. And so it would improve their income statement, their balance sheet to, to do this. But at the same time, there is no doubt, and I wrote a piece at shellmag.com on this this week, uh, there is no doubt that becoming a pure Permian play like this will make that company uh, more of a target for, for a big acquiring company like Chevron or Oxy. Whoever loses this batter, battle for Anadarko, well, then, now there's, there's going to be this pure Permian play sitting there with a gigantic chunk of acreage right in the middle of the Midland Basin, one of the real sweet spots in the Permian region. I, you know, it'll be, it's going to be really interesting to watch. I mean, the, the, the Permian region is full of companies that, 
you know, seem like pretty attractive targets these days for, for these bigger companies like ExxonMobil and Chevron and Oxy to come take a look at. And, and isn't it also um, somewhat expected that once one starts getting acquired, you, obviously the big guys are, are taking a look at the Permian Basin. It's been built out by a lot of uh, the smaller companies, and now it's, it's really uh, ripe for the picking, if you will, for big guys to move in there because it, it, you know, there's just so much going on over there. Right, and it's, it's the hottest play in the world, and uh, everybody wants to be in it, and the companies that are there want bigger positions in it. And uh, when you have companies like, like these majors uh, all engaged in that region, not just Chevron and Exxon, but Shell and BP as well, you know, these are companies with a lot of money sitting around waiting to be invested. And there's no better place to invest it than in more Permian assets. So I, I really think, and Drilling Info and other analysts do too, that, that we're probably going into a period of time here where there's going to be quite a bit of consolidation going on. Interesting. And I'm also wondering, though, you know, there's so much discussion that we need to uh, stop drilling. And yet it seems like uh, with the Permian Basin, there is no shortage to drill out there. And I just wonder what these um, environmentalists especially like in D.C. or wondering, like, it doesn't seem to slow down at all in the United States. It's not happening. It's actually invest. They're coming to invest in the United States. What are your thoughts? Right. And, and, and that's right. Uh, investors from all over the world are coming to invest in the United States and here in Texas because the world needs the energy. We need the energy in America and there's no viable substitute for it, frankly. And so, I mean, we can talk about not drilling all we want to, but, uh, but unless people want to freeze in the dark, and, and paid electricity bills three times as high as we have now, we kind of have to keep doing it, at least for the time being. And, uh, you know, we, we have a presidential contest going on, Beto O'Rourke's out there talking about drilling moratoriums, and, and but it's all just rhetoric. It's, it's not practical, and, and you really can't do what they're talking about doing. Excellent. Well, David, that is all the time that we have for this show. Thanks for uh, joining us this week, and we look forward to having you back next week. Great. I look forward to it. And with that, we do have to take a quick break. But when we return, we will be joined by Amy Cronus, as well as Dwayne Dixon with Deloitte. We'll be right back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. In the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute produced by shalemag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute. Oil prices fell by as much as 4% on Thursday, breaking through a key support level as rising U.S. crude stockpiles helped offset concerns about a supply crunch. The drop was partly due to the overhang from Wednesday's weekly report on U.S. crude stockpiles, which showed inventory surging by 9.9 million barrels. U.S. stockpiles have risen in five of the last six weeks, helping to ease the market's concern that global supplies are getting tight. WTI closed the day at $61.63, down $1.97 a barrel, while natural gas closed the day at $2.59, also down three cents. This is Ryan Sitton, and that's your Energy Minute. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side -side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. 
Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. Call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined in studio by Dwayne Dixon, who is Vice Chairman and U.S. Oil, Gas, and Chemical Sector Leader for Deloitte, as well as Amy Cronus, the Houston Managing Partner for Deloitte. You guys, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. We are so excited to have you guys. Um, we have uh, had you guys on the show before in the past, so we're really happy to have you guys back. Amy, we're happy to have you join us. Great um, to be here. And we're going to talk on the topic today, which is energy uh, transitions. So this is a pretty important topic um, as it's something kind of fairly new. And of course, being with Deloitte, this is a leader in this in the energy sector, so we're excited to get started. Um, so, you guys, let me, uh, first of all, talk just briefly about Deloitte. Amy, we'll start with you. Just tell us, tell me a little bit about what your role looks like every day or what sure. are you handling? In the sure. Industry? I have the great privilege of representing Deloitte here in the Houston marketplace. And that means um, representing us on local boards, community activities, uh, representing our people. Um, and just as importantly, I work on quite a few of our large energy integrated oil and gas and chemical companies, uh, which are global. And so I have the great privilege of coordinating our resources globally for those clients, bringing the best of the firm to them and bring our industry insights and, and uh, capabilities. You know, it's, it's always amazing to me to see that, you know, Deloitte is just such a, uh, an amazing brand or, you know, just, you know, when you're talking to Deloitte, you're in good hands. Uh, Dwayne, let's talk a little bit about uh, what what is your role with Deloitte and um, and because obviously you have a lot of different areas you're responsible for as well. Yes, <laughs> so yes. Tell me a little bit about what your day looks like. Um, my days are pretty busy, and uh, I would say that uh, as we look uh, at my role, it's oil, gas, and chemical sector lead, and what that really means is across all of Deloitte's uh, four business functions. Uh, that would be our audit group, our tax group, our financial advisory group, and our consulting group. I, I lead the marketplace activities that go on there. In addition to that, I also drive the research agenda. So we spend a lot of time thinking about the future of oil and gas and how chemicals and oil and gas are fitting together. 
and uh, the future of the end markets that uh, are so important to you know these these industries. Exactly. Well, you know, you're 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 right. It is an important thing. I don't think uh, as a whole a lot of people will really put together um, the up, mid, and downstream and how they all intertwine together. Because I think as consumers, most individuals just kind of look at okay, uh, I'm dealing with uh, what are gas prices today in my vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's, of course, utilities. Then there's also the the petrochemical part of it, which they're like, how do these connect together? So I'm glad that we're going to talk about the energy transition today. Dwayne, let me start with you. Um, how do you respond when you're asked by your clients um, what issues are going to be impacting the energy transition? Let's start with what is the energy transition to you and then. Yeah. So um, to me, the energy transition is really the way that the mix of energy that gets used changes over time, the way that demand patterns change over time, and the way that uh, we actually optimize the value of, of all of the hydrocarbons that uh, are produced. So as, as we start to think about that and think about a little bit more what it means, um, we're, we're seeing a, a world that is becoming more sustainable. We're seeing a world that's becoming more digital. And we're also seeing a world where we're seeing different alternatives for, uh, for how people live in larger cities and how people move around uh, the way they get mobile. And uh, you know, we're also seeing you know, sustainability as a really serious issue now, which uh, drives alternatives such as uh, renewable energy sources, and electrification of vehicles. And this has uh, sort of a long-term impact on how fuels that we uh, make today uh, are used and how the demand patterns will be shaped. Well, that's uh, pretty interesting to think about. Um, you know, we, we, we attend a lot of conferences, uh, Duane and Amy, and a lot of it is focusing around not just oil and gas, but like you said, the future and where are we going. I think there's a lot of uh, speculation and also a lot of uh, confusion on, you know, where are we really going? Will you know, And we're going to get into it a little bit in the show, but, uh, you know, how long will fossil fuels be around versus a lot of these alternative energies? Uh, as you guys are aware, we have Sarah Week in town right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, yep. emphasis has been uh, on that. And then also, I was just amazingly shocked, but uh, wonderfully shocked to see how really cutting edge and digital the oil and gas sector is of how they're feeding into one another. Like one specific uh, uh, company, I won't mention their name, uh, was just full circle with uh, really, you saw robotics, you saw um, uh, they have a, f- a Formula E car now that's completely uh, electric car, and it's a, a Formula One type vehicle. Um, I was just shocked to see how much uh, technology is really coming in and playing a super mega role in making uh, the energy more uh, or energy sector more um, efficient mm-hmm. as well and mm-hmm. staying cutting edge. Uh, Amy, let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about what do you see as far as the, the where are we heading with the demand. Uh, I think confidence in demand recovery is returning with expectations for stable but relatively slower economic growth, commodity prices, and investment. Uh, the market indicators seem to support this view, with the U.S. and global economy showing three things, uh, decent growth, energy demand increasing its above-average levels, and risks to supply persisting from a few key exporting countries. Well, um, you know, when you talk about demand, um, and I want to get into that a little bit more, uh, because when you say 
demand is picking up. I guess in my mind, I wonder where uh, other countries and in what areas are the demands. So we're going to take a quick break. When we return, I'd like to come back to that topic and see where is the biggest demand coming from in y'all's opinion as well. Mm-hmm. We do have to take a quick break. You're listening to an old patch radio show, and we'll be right back. Agreco has been powering the Permian Basin for over 10 years, supporting Permian producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. Agreco supports power systems as small as a single 200 kilowatt to as large as a 50 megawatt power plant. So when your utility power is delayed, call on Agreco to engineer a diesel, natural gas, or battery solution to fit your needs. We have immediate availability right here in the Permian Basin. Call 1-800-AGRECO or online agreco.com. Hi, this is Kimball Otto, host of In the Oil Patch Radio Show, starting every second Saturday of the month at 2 p.m. We will have a live call-in show in which John Tatera, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, will be joining me in studio to answer all your questions. So be sure to take advantage of getting your most important oil and gas questions answered live and join us on the show. The call-in live line is 210-526-3656. I'd love to get your questions answered, so be sure to call in at area code 210-526-3656. we're back you're listening to in the oil patch radio show we're being joined today our guest is uh amy cronus uh with deloitte as well as uh duane dixon um you all before the break we were talking about amy i I asked you a a question basically about uh what do we see with the demand and you kind of said that we're on an uptick for uh energy being in demand all over can can we break that down just a little bit both of you guys and, and kind of tell me where do you feel this energy demand i, I i'm sure it's global but uh where and and in what ways are we going to see the biggest impacts so i i think obviously we look at places where the markets are growing um we think of places such as china and india where population growth is is very large and we look for places where infrastructure is being built and and it is becoming uh, sort of more middle-class rich. So the, the, that's sort of one area that drives growth. Another area that drives growth is just sort of pent-up demand. And that's a little bit what we are seeing. And, and especially with prices and inflation being pretty good at this point, you know, low, uh, there, there is going to probably be an uptake in, in demand. Uh, also, as we look at the energy transition and we think about, you know, electrification and some of those trends, they're going to be important mostly in city centers at the beginning. And we're still going to see a a fairly heavy reliance on fossil fuel-based products uh, to use for transportation and farming and so forth in the more rural areas. Interesting. Um, Amy, tell me a little bit about fossil fuels. When do you think they're going to peak in demand? Um, What are your thoughts on this area? Right. And in addition to the uh, continued growth from emerging economies that, that Dwayne mentioned, you know, the 21st century energy transition, it's moving the world towards cleaner, low carbon energy, along with electrification of many applications, including transportation. Most people expect this to lead to a plateau and then decline in the use of all fossil fuels, coal, 
oil, and natural gas. Uh, depending on government policies towards carbon reduction and consumer acceptance of cleaner fuels, I think it's plausible that peak demand of fossil fuels will continue well beyond 2030. So, really? Okay. Well, yeah. you, you, I don't know if you would really believe that in reference to, I'm not saying you're not, I wouldn't believe it, but just perception-wise, right. that uh, I think everybody mm-hmm. thinks we'll be off of this in five years. Mm, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> probably, probably not. M- much will depend on whether rising energy demand and emerging economies can be met by low-carbon, non-fossil fuels over the next 20 years or so. Excellent. You know, I was, uh, again, surprised to see that even other countries, uh, so Sarah Week had a uh, Aramco, Saudi Aramco there, and they were <laughs> discussing low uh, admission type of processes as well for their, I think, conventional wells out there. So it was kind of uh, good to see that I think the whole planet is on board with how are we going to do this in a more efficient and cleaner way. Um, and I think uh, we're seeing some really good technology coming out trying to develop that yep. as well. Interesting. Uh Dwayne, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, speculation. Uh, we're heading into a global downturn, right? Um, or so uh, we think we're heading that way. How important will this impact be to the oil and gas industry? So um, let's start by talking a little bit about what's going on in the economy at the moment. So uh, prices at this point uh, are up about 1.5%, which is relatively low. So we're, we're not seeing a lot of inflation at this point. The peak of inflation uh, that we've seen in the sort of recent period was uh, 2.9% that happened sometime mid in 2018. Um, What we're also seeing is uh, uh, what's driving some of that lower inflation is is a big decline in energy prices. So energy overall is down about 5% year over year and and gasoline or or fuels, uh, transportation fuels are down about 9.1%. Those are U.S. figures. But we start to look at that, and um, that starts to create um, a sense that um, you know we we have lower inflation. So potentially we will see you know the government continue to keep interest rates low and keep the conditions pretty good. Um, we've heard from most uh, economists that the the type of downturn we're probably expecting. It seems to be more muted or more more mild, um, and I, th- I think if we look uh, if, if we look at the sort of impact on oil and gas, we're, we're basically going to see um, you know the, the oil and gas industry sort of uh, decline a little bit if the economy is to decline because consumers really drive a, a fair amount of the uh, overall volumes. You 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 bring up an interesting. Dilemma to think about as far as um, you know where where are we going to go with the downward turn in oil and gas, and I don't think we quite finished the complete question. So when we return from break, Dwayne, Amy, I'd like to get back on the topic of how is the oil and gas industry specifically going to handle um, mm-hmm. the downward turn, and uh, what should they be prepping for? What should we all be prepping for when, when mm-hmm. we hit this? Uh, but we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. Visit our website, shalemag.com. 
Plan your next meeting or event at Victoria College's Emerging Technology Complex, home to the state-of-the-art conference and education center, conveniently located between Houston and Corpus Christi. The center hosts meetings, educational workshops, and banquets for up to 300 people with the latest in technology amenities and ample parking. Let their professional meeting planners make your next event a success. For more information, go to conferenceinvictoria.com. Once again, that's conferenceinvictoria.com. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We're being joined today by Dwayne Dixon and Amy Cronus with Deloitte. And uh, y'all, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the downward turn, the global downward turn we're expecting. Um, how is this going to impact the oil and gas uh, industry, Dwayne? Well, I, I think first we need to look a little bit region by region and look at some of the factors that we expect to contribute to the downturn. So we'd like to see uh, uh, more robust growth come in China, but right now we're seeing relative slowdown in China. We're also seeing some trade issues. and. Uh, I believe the oil and gas industry is watching both of those uh, indicators pretty carefully. So the China market is obviously a big market for them. And in addition to that, the, uh, the ability for trade to flow freely is a, is a big, uh, you know, it's a big issue at the moment. So that, that is one area. Uh, I think another area in oil and gas is, is we're seeing just a, a very, very large wave of investment in um, making things more efficient, more productive, uh, and, and really the digital tools that we have available these days are, are pretty, pretty substantial. And, and we're starting to see some, some real breakthroughs uh, in companies uh, that, that are deploying digital technologies uh, in their plants and in their distribution systems and, and with their customer base. Interesting. What do you see um, the pace of the end market transition to alternative sources of energy? So I, I think when we look at alternative sources of energy, um, we look at uh, wind and solar, and we watch those trends. And right now, we would have to say that the way those trends have been moving, pretty much doubling every six months for a long, period, a reasonably long period of time, a couple, three, four years, we we would say that that has the potential to be an exponential trend, not just a linear trend. And if, if that is the case, then uh, we're, we're going to see more and more of the grid first uh, work, work its way, you know, through wind and solar and, and have sort of a more even um, distribution of energy sources. And then over time, if uh, it continues to grow the way it has, it, it could start to, uh, to cut into the uh, traditional energy supply. Interesting. Amy? What do you see the most progress being made in the oil and gas sector that's driving the energy transition agenda? 
Sure. Energy transition, I think, is profoundly challenging the sustainability and resilience of traditional business models. So a huge need for a far more agility and nimbleness on uh, both the sides of uh, private and, and uh, government bodies. Uh, as the energy sector faces this manager major transition, uh, I think there's a lot of uncertainty over the trajectory and pace at which it'll unfold. Uh, many in the oil and gas sector in the process are preparing for or prepared for renewables. Uh, the pace of battery storage product deployment and market development is accelerating. Uh, other factors include falling costs and maturing technology, multiplying opportunities to, and to add value uh, to renewables by combining them with energy storage and helping them to compete with conventional technologies. Uh, natural gas producers, shippers, and consumers are increasing their focus on mitigating methane emissions. Downstream chemicals, uh, in particular petrochemical companies, are ramping up their efforts to find solutions for plastic waste elimination and big decreases through recycling, repurposing, use of new materials and processes. So I think a lot of movement towards this this need for action. Um, just a couple other thing, you know, things. The cost of solar and wind energy, along with battery storage, has been dropping consistently for several years while performance has improved, as, as Dwayne mentioned. Uh, on the other hand, natural gas with a lower carbon content than coal or oil is widely now uh, available at affordable cost, and that's likely to remain a mainstay for power generation for decades to come. But, so both oil and natural gas provide the main feedstocks for petrochemicals, and we expect to see continued growth uh, for the foreseeable future in that. They, I think petrochemicals will have a far bigger part of the pie growing forward. Interesting. What about uh, governments? Any government uh, leading the way in this energy transition? And uh, what can oil and gas companies basically do to stay in front uh, of this to create some solutions? Sure. There are pressure on economies for industry to be on the forefront of driving climate change, yet governments seem to be leading the way with regulations. We heard the same theme at Sarah Week in Houston. Uh, For example, tax and trade policies will likely continue to impact renewable growth. Uh, potentially accelerated project schedules ahead of tax credit phase down suggest a favorable outlook for renewable growth in 2019 and beyond, uh, while tariffs could continue to create headwinds. Uh, new and renewed policies and initiatives at the local, state, and federal level will likely boost renewable growth. Uh, there needs to be more public-private partnerships driving sustainable in a circular economy is, I I think, a big, big big bottom line. Uh, Companies in the oil and gas industry have to leverage their core competencies while using um, smart digital technologies. It's really exciting, as as both you and Duane have mentioned, to see the digital technologies paving the way to lead the energy transition agenda. Uh, We're seeing a lot of oil field service companies in particular that are innovating through digitization and analytics to drive not only efficiency, but to be more sustainable and environmentally cautious. The, the harnessing of the data we're getting through all the sensors on equipment and the, the really creative ways that we're seeing oil field service companies in particular use this um, in, you know, enhancement way of operating, I, I think is really going to continue the um, lead cost down to a level that is very sustainable. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, looking at uh, Sarah Week and seeing, uh, like you said, all of the new technology um, uh, where most companies, service companies, don't even have to go out in the field anymore. Right. Taking advantage of drones and technology that exists, that mm-hmm. just uh, heat sensors, water sensors, uh, they've just truly become so uh, efficient, and it's just growing. When we return from break, Dwayne, I'd like to go back to uh, this energy transition and what it means, and then if there are any other alternative fuels that might be 
on the radar that are not as popular right now, wind and solar, that we might want to keep an eye on. But we are going to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Hi, this is Kim Bilotto, host of In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Do you have questions on global warming? How about seismicity, air quality, water issues? What's OPEC? What's OPEC Plus? Oil prices and gas prices? You probably have a bunch of questions. And now there is a place for you to go and ask your questions and get answers. Starting every second Saturday of the month at 2 p.m. we will have a live call-in show in which John Tatera, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, will be joining me in studio to answer all your questions. So be sure to take advantage of getting your most important oil and gas questions answered live and join us on the show. The call-in live line is 210- 526-3656. Again, the call-in live number is 210-526-3656. Be sure to call in at 2 p.m. If you want more information on how to call in live or the phone number again, be sure to email us at radio at shalemag.com. That's radio at shalemag.com. Or just go to our Facebook page in the Oil Patch Radio Show you'll find the information there as well. Would love to talk to you every second Saturday at 2 p.m. So be sure to call in. I'd love to get your questions answered. So be sure to call in at area code 210-526-3656. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We're being joined today by Dwayne Dixon and Amy Cronus with Deloitte. And uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, energy transition. I want to get back on that. Dwayne, um, tell me how fast will we see this energy transition? And then what are, of course, going to be some of the biggest challenges? And then, Amy, I'll have you weigh in as well. Sure. I think we're going to start to see uh, the impact of some of these changes in the 2025 to 2030 period. Um, We won't necessarily have our whole world changed or turned upside down, but we're going to start to see the presence of technologies such as electrified vehicles um, and and, uh, autonomous vehicles and so forth. And, And we've done a lot of work in the future of mobility area, and we think it's so profound that uh, a statistic in, in our research basically says that by 2040, 
percent, there'll be a 25 percent increase in miles driven per passenger, and there will be a 40 percent decrease in the number of units produced, number of uh, new vehicle units produced. So that's quite a profound change. And so we we see two trends that make that happen. Number one, um, we're we're going to see a, a, a larger percentage over time of electrified vehicles because of the sustainability questions and especially in urban areas because there's a very strong utility for vehicles there. But in addition to that, um, we're going to also see shared vehicles, autonomous vehicles, and, and other ways of, of getting around, which is going to you know sort of make fleets have much higher utilization. They're actually going to be fleets in the first place. They're going to be much more highly utilized, and that's why the miles are going to go up but they're not going to need as many units. So uh, we're, we're, we're going to see a lot of changes. Interesting. Amy, uh, what do you think? What, what do you feel uh, we'll see? Sure. The, the drive towards a low-carbon future catalyzed by the Paris Agreement and, and coupled with a series of socioeconomic and technological trends is leading many in the oil and gas industry to fundamentally reimagine what the energy company of the future looks like very rapidly. So petrochemical companies are not going away and are setting an example of how to take the intermediate step to transition from crude to chemicals. Downstream companies are part of the equation that will set the pace for energy transition adoption. And I believe the biggest challenge may very well be the consumer driving energy transition quicker than anticipated. Uh, the consumer is making decisions and choices that may ultimately expedite the, the agenda quite a bit, uh, especially with, the, as with electric vehicles, as Dwayne mentioned. You know, governments and private companies are going to have to jointly work together to help solve uh, one of the challenges. And as I said, need to be as agile as possible and collaborate in public-private partnerships. Very interesting. Any uh, fuels that are on the market or anything that um, we should be looking at and, and uh Maybe not on the radar as much as solar and wind, but uh-huh. uh, Dwayne. Well, I, I think um, Amy referred to uh, the use, the much more prevalent use of natural gas, and we we still have uh, you know abundant natural gas. That's so right. uh, because it will be very affordable for a long period of time, I, I think you'll continue to see efforts to harness that or liquefy that and and make it a sort of much more globally available product rather than a locally available product. Um, and we, we have significant interest and emphasis in research programs at universities and in government labs all over the world on how to actually take carbon dioxide and, and apply it to problems. In other words, it could be feedstock someday and, and help us make, uh, make plastics or other materials. And this would would solve a big problem with our greenhouse gases and climate change. So I, I do think uh, we need to watch the future for uh, for innovation and, and looking for ways to make things that are problems today, you know, the solutions of tomorrow. Very interesting. It's an exciting time um, that we're living in right now. Amy, I'd like to close with you. So you are here. What are we seeing in the Houston area with uh, uh, energy and, um, and how busy are we still with the prices kind of coming back up? See a lot of activity here in Houston still? I'm sure. There is a lot of activity, uh, particularly around uh, the large integrated companies. You know, all cylinders running. I think the oil-filled service companies are still trying to come out of the, the industry downturn to, in, in some ways because of the, the lower for longer cost reduction needs aren't going to go away. Um, to your point around uh, millennials and the workforce of the future, it's exciting to us that in, in terms of our future workforce, our millennials are clearly gravitating towards no cars 
or you know very high adaptability around uh, you know uh, ride sharing and other technologies uh, that I, th- I think that's very positive and helpful to the transition agenda and sustainability overall. Well, very good. I'd like to thank you both for coming into studio and being our guest today within the Oil Patch Radio Show. And we look forward to you all coming back on here in the near future and discussing again, what are you guys uh, working on and researching at Deloitte? Thank you. It's great thank to be you. back. Well, that's all the time that we have for this show, but please be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch. Or follow us on Twitter at ShellMag. That's S-H-A-L-E. M-A-G. And if you have any questions for me, or if you have questions on oil and gas, I encourage you to email me at radio at shellmag.com. That's going to wrap up another great show. See you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then, adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.